prosperity gospel took things from me that will never be returned. Have I grown? Absolutely. Am I free? Absolutely. And still, it does not replace the years that I spent entrenched in a line of thinking that God was only concerned with what I could give God materially. Welcome to Sanctified. Join this congregation weekly where hot girls and holiness align. Where nothing is taboo and revelation is more than the Bible's last book. I'm Deborah Joy Winans. I'm a wife, a mother, a sister, a daughter, a friend, and a lover. And I'm learning to live this life without fear or shame in abundance, the way God intended. And I'm LaVon Briggs. I'm a Queens girl, a joy chaser. I'm a daughter of the church and the diaspora. And I'm a Black woman spiritual leader who's no longer at war with her body. You ready, LaVon? I'm ready, sis. How you doing? You know, I'm blessed and highly favored in the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't even say it with a straight face. Right. It's been a long time since I've heard that greeting. You know what? About 20 years ago, I thought that was the only way I could respond to LaVon. How you doing? Yeah. I really did think that just saying, oh, I'm well, how are you? Wasn't holy enough. Mm -mm. It wasn't saved enough. People had to know that you are blessed and highly favored. And it really makes me wonder, DJ, about all of the behaviors and dynamics of Black church culture that make us feel like we're a good Christian. I call them antics. It's like, what antics are you doing today to make you feel like you are super saved and religious? And because it's all, all of it is just a feeling. Listeners, you can't see me. I'm the old mouth emoji right now. <laughs> It's the antics for me. No, you're so right. And when I think of antics, when I think of revivals and different services where the antics were the antiquiest, it was when we when we was trying to get that financial blessing. Oh, yeah. They were prime. You got to turn around three times backflip. Yeah. I need a thousand people to give two hundred dollars. Yeah. Did you experience that? Ooh, a lot of it. And I think We've come to understand that to be, you know, the teaching of the prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. Back then, I didn't have those words, but there was so much of it. And when I think back on it, sometimes I feel like there were so many things to it. Mm-hmm. God is telling me a thousand people here are going to give $5,000. Stand up, stand up. You know what you, and it's like, wait, what? And I think a lot of times outside of assigning that to the reason God is going to bless you. There were also people that just like wanted to look good to be seen as the person that's, Oh yeah, I got this money. Like, what is this? Right. I can afford this offering line. You can't. When did you experience, you know, prosperity gospel? You know, I actually didn't experience it until I was good and pseudo grown in college and I joined a Pentecostal church. Because when I grew up in the Episcopal church as a kid, we would have little offering envelopes placed around the church, but we never raised an offering per se. So when I got to Holiness Pentecostal Church of Christ and it was tithes and there was offerings and there was the benevolent fund, oh, we did have a building fund when I was a kid too. But 
Prosperity gospel wasn't until I was much older. That is very interesting that they didn't just take up an offering. There were just envelopes around and, you know, you gave what you gave. Yeah. I love that. It was different for me because while I was non-denominational, I think there was a lot of a Pentecostal background. Mm -hmm. There were tithes and offerings. And then I think when I think about prosperity gospel now and think back on my life, the building funds for me, I think were the biggest thing because it was like, we need this to work on the building, but the building never got worked on. Or built. Or built. (laughs) One thing I've learned is that when I give, even if I'm giving to someone on the street, if you go and get something you shouldn't get with it, that's on you. My blessing is coming because I have given and can't nobody change that. But it's like, man, what did y'all do with the building fund? And that's interesting, too, because when you give to give as opposed to give to get more God, you're actually stripping away the capitalist part of the prosperity gospel. And I think that helps us to say, well, what does giving look like? Stewardship look like? Maybe what does success look like? Because prosperity gospel tells us that you're only successful if you're like really financially affluent. So maybe it'll be helpful for us to learn what does prosperity actually mean? Yeah. What does prosperity actually mean? A lot of people, like you said, associate it with financial success, but prosperity is the condition of being successful or thriving. And to me, thriving, that speaks to so many different facets, myriad facets of life. You know, are you successful mentally? Are you successful physically? The goals that you have set for yourself, are you continuously able to wake up and execute? Uh, Do you have peace of mind? Are things moving, flowing well in your family? Life is going life all day. Come on. So prosperity is how are we facing life? And are we thriving? Are we surviving? Are we moving forward? Are we successful in that? It's not just a financial component. Mm, That really opens up this idea of prosperity. Because when I think about what does it actually mean to prosper, when I think about the etymology of the word and to live well, as a wellness stand, right? I want to be mentally, physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually well. And what helps me to feel good is to have a deep grounded spiritual practice. What helps me to feel prosperous is having healthy, loving relationships with my community members. What helps me to feel prosperous is looking in the mirror and loving what the fuck I see. And so it is so critical for, I think, Black women in particular to really redefine prosperous and prosperity and to prosper for ourselves. Yes, and amen. Your soul is prospering when you look in the mirror and you can smile and you can be happy at what you see. Come on. That's huge. You said something earlier, like we're not giving to get God. Mm. And I think that fundamentally people have accepted this prosperity gospel as a currency that secures their relationship with God. And it's like, I don't have enough money in the world to to equate to the things that God can give me. Mm. And so the idea that we have to give to get a blessing, then what is the unconditional love? 
because that's who God is. Exactly. I think that God's love for us does that. And prosperity is more of a holistic and like you said, communal Mm -hmm. experience. You know, it's, it's, it's about community. It is. I remember when I went to Uganda and Rwanda when I was in grad school and we visited a refugee camp and we went to a worship service. And when I tell you the women had on the most vibrant, colorful fabrics and they had babies tied to their backs and they were clapping and singing and praising God, there was so much joy and praise and exhortation. And so I agree with you that financial money does not solidify your relationship with God. Even if we look to the scriptures, Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Those women didn't necessarily have money, but they had care and nurture and attention and songs and hand clapping, right? So I think it serves us to expand our consciousness when it comes to currency. And what is given and pressed down. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really beautiful because currency is not just a dollar bill. It's what do you have to give mm-hmm. and what do you need? If we are working in community and loving on each other, we are all giving and getting. We are all supplying the needs, you know? Community is currency. Time is currency. Energy is currency. And so I love that we're debunking some of these myths and misconceptions around prosperity because it's time for us to have the conversation, y'all. So one myth that we want to debunk right now is the idea that if you're poor, you haven't worked hard enough or given to the church enough. There are very real structures in place to prevent the majority of people from advancing economically, particularly Black folks and brown folks. And those who do the most intensive labor are often those whose income places them below the poverty line. Make it make sense. Like capitalism sucks the life out of everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When we're talking about the Black church, we're talking about Black women. And it's our labor that holds the Black church up. We give our time, our talents, our money. We frying the chicken. We watching the kids. We teaching the Sunday schools, right? And it might have some Black women believing that God will reward their diligence and their sacrifice. So when you work for years or decades in the church and you don't have the husband, the kids, the, you know, seven figures in the bank, like you can feel dejected. Like what has that yielded for us? This idea that we have to give all of who we are and perhaps we haven't gotten the things that we need and desire. For me, I don't believe Black women should tithe to spaces that don't ordain women for that very reason. If you are going to thrive off of the energetic and financial contributions of Black women, then you need to see God in us and see the calling of God's on our lives and stand in solidarity with us and ordain us, period. What's another misconception, DJ? You can't just want to take and take and take from us. And not give. My God. We are not an endless, bottomless well. We need refilling. There's something we talked about in premarital counseling, just about your tank. Is your tank on full or is it on empty? And how do you try to keep your partner's tank on full as best as you can? Like you're not going to be their sole 
filler upper. Right. Because they are an individual and they have needs that you cannot meet every need. But how do you fill the tank? You cannot just continue to deplete. If you keep trying to drive a car on E, it's going to stop on you. You keep taking from a bank account, it's going to be in the negative, child. It's going to be in the negative. For me, I think it's just the fact that people think that prosperity simply means money. And that is just not the case. That is such a myth. Mm -hmm. You can have all the money in the world and not have peace of mind, not have joy in your soul, not flourish just mentally or physically. And so there is something about the prosperity of your soul of your mind, of the peace that you can walk in. That is prosperity. It is not solely money. And so uh, that is a huge myth to me because I've learned just as life lives, it's not always about being able to throw some money at a problem. There are so many other things that it takes to continue to live this life and live it abundantly the way that I believe God has called us to live. That part. That's a myth for me. And the idea that you have to pay to play is our last myth. There's a scripture in Malachi that Holiness Pentecostal Church of Christ, we would recite this from memory every Sunday before we tithe. The King James Version, though, but this is the NIV, (laughs) the New International Version. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Beloved ones, in that scripture, the Lord Almighty is talking about having resources available for the people and for the community. And so I feel like if you don't have money, does that mean you don't belong in church? Does that mean that God doesn't have a blessing for you? That's just not fair. And that's very unkind. And it don't sound like God to me. So I want us to redefine and expand this concept of prosperity. I like that. I also think that the idea that we have to feel pressure to give, you know, I don't do peer pressure. I ain't never done that. Uh, (laughs) So the idea that you can pressure me into something that you actually don't know about, you don't know my financial situation. So going to the scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, it says, I believe this is the NIV, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided, what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like this idea that I have to give this random amount that you decided to come up with as you're standing there. And that if I'm not giving it, but I have it in my account, then I'm not doing the will of God. It's like, (laughs) come on, no, (laughs) I don't think that that's the case. And so we cannot continue to feel this pressure to give a certain amount that someone has suggested. If that is not what God has put in our heart to do that part. And I've learned the older I get, I'm going to lean on what God has given me to do. And you do what God is telling you to do. Same here. And as I've gotten older, I tithe to my church, but I also tithe to Black women because Black women are often the ones who are holding space for me. And 
adorning me with love and care and compassion. And so when a sister has been particularly present for me, oh, you best believe I'm going to send something on Venmo or Cash App, okay? Absolutely. Because, sis, I want your storehouse to be full. You know what I'm saying? There are so many different ways, as we've learned, just because life will teach you. And I think particularly for me in the pandemic, we have learned that tithing does not just have to be to a church or the church that you attend. There are so many places that need help. And when you are giving and sowing somewhere where they need it, God is blessing that. God sees that. It's not if you give over here, then I'll bless it. No, 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 no. Wherever you give, wherever there is a need, like we are rendering service. We are meeting needs. There's that minister. I'm telling you, when you are doing that, you are doing what you've been called to do. Which as Christians, for those of us who identify as Christians, to be a Christian means to be Christ-like. And the fact of the matter is, even looking in the Bible, communal support is a baseline of Jesus's teachings. So Jesus wasn't out here talking about, you need to submit your W-2 so we know that you're tithing properly to your church, right? Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you, okay? I'm not always going to be here. But the impoverished will be here. So what are you going to do about that? And when I think about Jesus's teachings, when I think about Jesus's disciples or like the really like earliest ones in the book of Acts, where they were telling people, sell all your possessions and give to the needy and follow Christ, right? Christ was making a point about the necessity of community and the importance of not being so tied to material things. Because the fact of the matter is we do need material things to live well, but we cannot base God's love for us based on our possession of said things. You know what I'm saying? Amen. So we have someone very special here who is going to help us unpack the gospel of prosperity even more. I'm just elated. Our testifier today is an ordained minister, practical theologian, and prolific preacher. Reverend Dr. Melva L. Sampson is assistant professor of preaching and practical theology at Wake Forest University School of Divinity. She is an ordained minister of the Progressive National Baptist Convention and an ordained ruling elder in the Presbyterian Church USA. Come on, duly ordained. Her research interests live at the intersections of gender, digital interactive media, performance, and preaching. She is the creator and curator of Pink Robe Chronicles, a digital hush harbor that centers faith and spirituality, utilizing the womanist tenets of redemptive self-love, critical engagement, radical subjectivity, and traditional communalism to elucidate the role of sacred memory and ritual in the collective healing of marginalized communities. Dr. Sampson is also my second pastor and my sorrow. So let's hear from Reverend Dr. Melba L. Sampson now. My name is Reverend Dr. Melba L. Sampson, and this is my testimony. I first encountered prosperity gospel in the mid 90s. This is 1996. I was a first year graduate student at Howard University at a Pentecostal church in Washington, D.C. I grew up in a traditional Baptist church. I'd never heard of this prosperity gospel Money was given in exchange for being blessed. If you are able to give, then these good things will happen to you. That when you give, you are redeemed. The church that I attended had a revival 
every January. And the revivalist was Juanita Bynum. She preached a message called No More Shame. And it was based off of Isaiah 61, where it says, and for your shame, you will receive double. By the time the message was over, the spirit was just high. Folks were dancing, uh, shouting, running around the sanctuary. I mean, it was like holy mayhem. And then the music kind of made a shift. The lights kind of dimmed a little. And ooh, I could see it. And she raised her right hand with the mic. She said, the spirit of God wants me to tell you that today you have seen your last worst days. She said, but you're going to have to sow a seed. Well, as I'm listening, I already know it's not going to be me because I don't because mm, I don't have this money to pay God to bless me. And just as I was sort of raising my hands, the jewelry that I was wearing jingled on my left hand. I had a brand new tennis bracelet that my partner had just purchased me for the holidays. On my right hand, I had some gold bangles from my aunt who had recently died. And I looked and I said, oh, wow, I could give these. I didn't even think about it long. I walked up to the altar and I laid those bracelets on the altar with everyone else's goods. See, here was the exchange. When you went up to give your offering, she laid hands on you. This is how deep the transaction was. Prosperity gospel took things from me that will never be returned. Have I grown? Absolutely. Am I free? Absolutely. And still, it does not replace the years that I spent entrenched in a line of thinking that God was only concerned with what I could give God materially. Let me tell you something. It's probably one of the moves that sent me to seminary, even though I could not articulate it then. Ultimately, positively, what it did for me was to remind me that like my relationship with spirit, with God is not transactional. I don't ever have to sow something to get something in return. I sow because I desire to give. I'm appreciative for where I am today. And it's my duty. And the words of Asada, it is our duty to fight for our people. Because we don't have anything to lose but our chains. And that's what prosperity gospel is. It's a chain. My name is Reverend Dr. Melva L. Sampson. And that is my testimony. We'll be right back with the fellowship after this. Dr. Sampson, thank you for being with us today. Yes. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Sampson. Thank you, girl. In your testimony, you talked about the moment you gave up your jewelry, the tennis bracelet, the bangles, child, just the arm candy. Have there been any other moments when you felt you had to give something that you simply did not have to give? Yes. Like a week before that particular service, there was another service with another famous preaching celebrity, you know, everybody was getting up, giving their offerings. You know, there were incremental lines and, you know, I grew up traditional Baptist, not full gospel. I have no beef with any, but I just want to make clear. There were just certain things that we, you know, I never experienced an offering line, right? Cause you're going to pay them tithes and them offerings and during Lent, you're going to put those little quarters in those gleaners. 
and you're going to go ahead and be about your business. And so I was in graduate school and this particular denomination was new to me. And so listen, who does not want to be redeemed like me? I don't want to be left behind. And then in that thinking, and so that was the message, you know, the message was like, you got to sow a seed, basically, like your redemption is transactional and it's tied to this seed. So I sold a seed that I didn't have. How about that? I sacrificed a seed that I didn't even have, which was my rent money as a graduate student at Howard University. And um, when it was time to pay rent, I called the church because somebody said, oh, you know, the church helps for things like that. So I called the church and I'm like, so I was at revival this week and I put my money in the offering and they were like, girl, nobody told you to do that. Why would you do that? Why would you put your rent money in? I still today cannot really explain to you all how piercing that moment was to hear because I'm saying, well, no, you didn't tell me to do it, but damn, you sure did say if I don't do it, I'm not going to be on the inside (laughs) and I want to be on the inside. So yeah, that was one moment. And then I also worked at the bank that was on the same block as the church. The business seller would count down the night drop bags that the you know other businesses would deposit. Well, the church, you know, deposited their drop from Sunday to Monday. I started helping the person who was counting those bags down count and inside the deposit bags were pawn shop like receipts. Wow. And so I'm like, because what did you do with all of those things that were on the altar? Mercy. From then on, you know, it's extremely triggering and it's extremely hurtful. There is shame attached to that as well. I don't know if you all have ever just wanted to be right. The language, the message, the propaganda around it was you're not right if you're not doing this. And I just wanted to be right. And if it meant that I have to give everything to be right, if it meant that I had to be in financial turmoil to be right, then this is what I'm going to do, right? You're blowing my mind. What was the moment when it really clicked for you that your relationship with God was not transactional? So I want to say that shout out to my partner who is now my spouse all those years ago who was like, girl, you are in a cult. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And so I moved to Atlanta and I went to seminary and it was there sitting in a course taught by uh, Dr. Alton B. Pollard III called Civil Rights and Black Consciousness. I can't remember why we were talking about sexuality, but we were talking about sexuality. And I just started thinking, you know, in the words of Brother Malcolm, I have been hoodwinked. (laughs) (laughs) Had run them up. Yes. Like I have been out here, you know, believing that I needed to do all of this and and give myself away. (laughs) I mean... I pause because I, and you know, we love the song, we love the meaning, but you know, it, it, it is this whole notion that especially black women, everything we are, everything that we believe, everything that we desire to, that we need to give ourselves the fullness of who we are, our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our souls, that we just got to go on and hand it over. And that's the only way we're going to ever be right. And so folks live their entire life. I'm sitting in my mother-in-law's house right now, an avid church woman. I mean, 
I can't get up to go reach her Bible to show you, but in terms of what it has meant for her to live her, her life solely in a way where she gave everything with the hope that she would gain it in this afterlife. But damn, if it wasn't hell in her here and now. You know what, Dr. Sampson? I think there are a lot of Christians who are going through that. Maybe not the specific same instance, but are having their cores rocked by church leadership. I'm thinking particularly of folks like Benny Hinn and Creflo Dollar, right? These spiritual leaders who for decades <laughs> were talking about the prosperity gospel is the way, the truth, and the life only to now renounce it in recent years. And that can shake some folks. So what was the most important thing you needed in order to heal from your years of prosperity gospel indoctrination? In the words of, of one of my elders, Dr. Itihari Ture, I needed a community that has been strong enough to hold my truth. I needed a community that would hear it, that would hear me, that would not shame me, that would not say, oh, girl, you dumb. Why you do that? Um, but a community where I could bear all of it, where I could wrestle. I needed a community where I can ask questions, where I could you know, not say, you know, well, it was in the will, where I could say, well, maybe that was not the will and not on my part. I needed faith leaders who would be honest about the foolishness. <laughs> I needed faith leaders to straight tell me, you know, sometimes we sit in the back and we discuss how much of an offering needs to be raised because there are certain kinds of projects we want to, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the guest preacher says, hey, how much are we trying to raise tonight? And to think that I was a part of that raising Folks should hear me in that it is not that I am naive or others are naive, that we don't know that, you know, lights need to be paid in buildings and all kinds of things, upkeep in buildings and heat in the winter and air in the summer. But there is a manipulation. There's something that's not above board, right? When you connect that to someone's spiritual livelihood. When you connect that to, you know, what I understood then as salvation. Now, you know, part of my development and growth is I understand that very differently now. There's no amount of money that can save me because this whole idea, this is not what we're talking about, but I'm gonna go ahead and say this because salvation then is really about, for me, being liberated from the fear of death. So since I've been liberated, from the fear of death, I no longer feel like I have to sow anything into any institution that is desiring me to die financially and spiritually so that it can live. Period. Dr. Sampson, you have found your access. You understand your access to God in a way that a, a lot of people still don't, sadly. And now that you are raising two wonderful, beautiful black girls, what is the biggest thing you're going to teach them about their access to God? Whew. So I really live by um, the words that are on the last page of Ntozaki Shange's For Colored Girls Who Consider Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough. I found God in myself and I loved her. I loved her fiercely. I want them to be activated to know that divinity starts with you. 
I want them to understand that their liberation from the fear of many types of death is not sort of in a static figure. It's definitely not in a static figure who is male, but it is in figures uh, that they have known in this lifetime, figures that they will call on now that their grandmother has transitioned, that, that she will continue to be a source for them. I don't want them to think that their relationship with spirit is some spooky mystery. I want them to acknowledge that spirit has the greatest and highest intentions, but those intentions come in lockstep with them because they're co-creators of those intentions. I want them to know that their imaginations are not ideas that should be blocked, are not ideas that they should um, feel shamed about um, when they are experiencing feelings that are natural to their bodies. Listen, I just want them to live into who they are, which is why my spouse and I named them what they're named. They live into their name free. Her name is free because she needs to be reminded every single time her name is called because her name is attached to the divine purpose that she is called to be in this space free every time. you And I have to be reminded this girl is free. You named her that. Uh, I will never forget. You know, I'm free. Praise the Lord. I'm free. I got caught up in the shower singing that like almost like buckled to my knees. And I said, oh, my goodness, this is before the doctor said that she was a girl. I knew she was a girl. I said her name is free. This baby is going to be free in this world. And Phoenix, because Phoenix is the mythological bird that combusts right into ashes only to recreate herself to come back stronger than she was. They carry those names. Every time someone calls those names, they need to recognize and know that their divinity is being called forth, that they don't have to wait, y'all, for the sky to crack open. No disregard to my grandmother's point of view, because it is my grandmother's point of view that has me sitting right here. Right. It is no disregard. And let me tell you something. Let a situation get dark enough, friend. <laughs> he let me tell you where I'm going back to. And to be clear for all of those who, who are listening, it should not be suggested what I am not. Right. I say an amen. It's this right here, though, that's problematic. It is this right here that has been exploited and that has been manipulated in ways that are harmful for us. So I want them to know that God is in you, friend, and it's in those that you see. It is in your community and that this this faith walk for you, it's not about personal piety. It is about radical communal responsibility, period. Come on and preach. Listen, your mothering is countercultural. Your romantic partnership is revolutionary. Your preaching, your teaching, your pastoring, your two-stepping, Okay, you give us holistic, liberated black woman spiritual leader. And I love that for us. And so can you give us a bit, Reverend Dr. Melva Sampson, what does a prosperous life look like for you? Mm, that just made me like breathe deep. Like I felt it when you asked. Mm-hmm. Feels good. You ever get like a little cold shiver? You know, like, oh, it just kind of went through. A quickening, honey. The whole goes. It just, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> you know, Again, it's like a safe place to land. 
where you can show up in the fullness of who you are. When I started dating my spouse, I wasn't this, but I was who I was. And I'm saying it like that intentionally. Like I had no idea that I would become the Reverend Doctor, um, but I always was. My family name is Shay after the revolutionary Shea Guevara. So I only know how to be revolutionary. And so what is prosperous to me is that I have spaces and places and community where I don't have to put on. Mm-hmm. Mm, my God, where I can just show up and be. Mm. And listen, sometimes that means, y'all, that my being, because sometimes my being stinks. And sometimes it's my daughters who are like, girl, or as free like to say, my good sis is tripping. <laughs> <laughs> but prosperous is knowing that I co-create, that nothing actually happens to me. It can either happen with me or even those things that are not good happen, but they move through me. And meaning for me, they can't stay there. I can't stay there. So a prosperous life to me is not necessarily what's in my bank account. Although, you know, we know that we need funds to, to live. Uh huh. But it is like, what's my spiritual health looking like? Where's my emotional health? Are the folks in my home, are we balanced? Where's the pleasure, friend? To Again, back on sensual faith. Hello. That's prospering. Amen. Mm, the doors of the church are open. <laughs> wow. I don't know that I would have ever really focused on this had we not had this conversation. I have so many things to think about, but mostly I'm just grateful We have somebody like you out here letting the people know, and in such a beautiful way, Dr. Reverend Melva Sampson. Thank you. One of my daughters is sitting across from me now listening to the conversation. And it is my, again, my hope, right, that as she grows and even when I'm long on another plane of time and or consciousness, that she will remember hearing these three Black women consider ponder, think critically about who we are and about whom we engage. I just know in my heart of hearts um, that the God Project is about being free. And so at the end of the day, I think that we are called to live ethically, that our lived experiences have to match our espoused ethics. And if we're doing that, then we're in the will. Amen and Ashel. Pastor Sorrow, thank you so much for blessing us today. We appreciate you. Praise God. Many thanks to Reverend Dr. Melva L. Sampson. We're going to take a short break, but coming up next, it's offering time. Well, guys, it is time for church announcements. You know, we got to get them in. So before we get to offering, we got to talk about a few things. Now, we are so grateful for all of the love that you've been showing us here at Sanctified. It's affirming. It's beautiful. We are very blessed and grateful. And because we want to continue to build and welcome you into more Sanctified episodes and just the whole community, 
we need you to do a couple things for us. We need you to tap the follow button, beloved, so that you are notified of everything we do over here at Sanctified. And don't forget to rate us on the Spotify app. So just go ahead, give us five. It's all good. We understand. We appreciate that. And lastly, tap that bell so you're notified as soon as a new episode is released. All right, that's it for our church announcements, child. DJ, child, you ready to give your offering? Ooh, yes, Lord. I have several. If you are new to the, the sanctified church, offering time requires nothing of you. And praise God, because after that word, you know? Mm-hmm. So put your purse down, sis. Offering time at Sanctified is where we get to bring affirming words to you. Mm-hmm. For me, Levon, this was wild. It's something that I've never focused on, but something that has been huge in my life, around my life. Mm-hmm. And how do we shift the narrative? How do we redefine and expand what prosperity means? What being prosperous means what your soul prospering means for me i would just like to offer that it's not money but the biggest thing is that it is not tied to god blessing you if you walk away with nothing else know that everything that god has for you is for you It is coming to you. It is yours. It is within you. And there is nothing that you have to give to get it. That's so good. And a message that Black women need to hear because we are the most religious demographic in the country. It's just proven scientifically. Um, And so it makes sense that something like prosperity gospel would overwhelm us and we would be the most susceptible to these really unscrupulous financial practices by religious leaders. And so I love that affirmation that you're giving us because it reminds me for my offering that you get to determine who and what you invest in right? You get to see tithing beyond the four walls of the church. Wherever God's work or workers are inspiring you and helping you to feel closer to God, you can invest in that. So if it's the poet, if it's the singer, the writer, if it's the sister who encourages you on the journey, feel free because we deserve to be full and not in famine. And that's my word. Y'all, thank you so much for joining us on Sanctified today. Please come on back and get even more sanctified with us next week and bring a sister friend with you. Or two. Or three. <laughs> also, email us at sanctified at unbotherednetwork.com and let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about next. Mm-hmm. And remember, you, you are worthy. worthy. Sanctified is a Spotify original series produced in partnership with Jamel Hill's Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39. Hosted by Deborah Joy Winans and LaVon Briggs. From Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39, executive producers are Jamel Hill and Evan Dick. Head of content for Unbothered is Christina Tapper. Head of network production and operations is Rich Burner. Creative producer is Ashley J. Hobbs. Editor is Ayana Angel. And associate producer is Rachel J. Pilgrim. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. Creative executive is Grace Delia. C 
Senior Program Manager is Jessica Dow, and Program Manager is Jenna Lonergan. Special thanks to all the cross-functional teams at Spotify that helped bring this program to life. This episode includes original music produced by Cheyenne G. New episodes of Sanctified come out every Wednesday only on Spotify. So be sure to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode.